When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Welcome back into Purple Daily. Matthew Collar here with you as always. And welcoming in now a guy that I have followed for a long time and wanted to chat with and finally uh, get to do that. Stephen Ruiz, who is the lead NFL writer at USA Today's For the Win. What is up, Stephen? How are you? I'm good. I have actual football to watch now. I guess you can call it actual football, but I'm I'm happy I can write about game time. Isn't that great? Like, even though it was a preseason game and by the fourth quarter, I kind of wanted to throw myself off a tall building of the first Vikings game, still, like, having actual things to work with. It's been, for people in Minnesota, eight months since they've been, like, able to watch a real football game. And, uh, you know, I guess the way this... NFL schedule works, you almost don't realize, wow, it has been a really, really long time. So it's great to have uh, football back, Stephen. Yeah, and it must have been great for Vikings fans to get to watch their favorite quarterback play last <laughs> weekend. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater, you mean, right? Exactly. Yeah, well. Definitely not Kirk. Yeah, not yet. Um, I think Kirk will have to do uh, at least what Teddy did in his second year, which would be get the Vikings to the playoffs and probably at very least match Case Keenum and get a playoff win or more in order for Vikings fans to buy in. Did you happen to see uh, what Teddy looked like? I mean, I I thought he looked kind of like old Teddy with a little more zip on his fastball. Yeah, I did. I got to watch the game last night. And just like you said, he looked like old Teddy before the injury. And I don't even really think we got to see old Teddy. Old Teddy, in my mind, is that Teddy we saw in the preseason before he hurt his knee when he was really just like, he was just swinging the ball all over the field. I was really excited to see him that season, and then obviously the injury happened and ruined everything. Yeah, no, it it most certainly did. Well, um, you know, I have been in the camp for a long time that he was on the trajectory to be a Philip Rivers or Tony Romo kind of quarterback that doesn't throw the ball always the hardest, but is so accurate and has great anticipation and has this gamer element to him that he could have been this franchise's quarterback. But uh, it is one of the more fascinating situations, isn't it, Steven? I mean, I'm, I'm in it all the time. I'm talking about third-string offensive linemen and stuff like that. But if you, you kind of pull back, it's it's really wild where the Vikings franchise has gone since Teddy Bridgewater went down. Yeah, I would really like to know what the roster would look like right now if that injury never happened. I think you, you might have another star on the team because they gave away a first-round pick for Sam Bradford. You obviously have more money because you're not spending a lot on the quarterback position. I don't know. If, I guess Teddy would have been up by now, but 
I don't think you would have had to pay $28 million guaranteed per season with him. No, you probably would have ended up much more around the $20 million range, which was the going rate at the time they would have been negotiating a deal for him. Um, I, I think about that all the time, and I did a piece about how, in a lot of ways, Teddy Bridgewater's injury shaped the entire NFL in terms of quarterback situations, and you can even get to Kyler Murray being in... Um, uh, you know, Arizona in a way because Sam Bradford goes there, he melts down, Josh Rosen has to come in. And if they had sat Josh Rosen for a year, then, you know, maybe we don't see Kyler Murray here. Who knows? But, um, anyway, let, let me start there with you. Just, uh, the first week of preseason, um, Kyler Murray gets on the field. We get our first look at him and he is zipping the ball. He looks pretty solid. Um, is, is there an overreaction to be had about Arizona and Kyler Murray? If you consider that, I think we could say now that Kyler Murray is going to be okay in the NFL. I think there were legitimate questions because he is shorter, he is smaller. You don't know if that speed is going to play at the NFL level. We've seen like scramblers come to the NFL and they're not so effective at eluding rushers when they get to the NFL, but he was able to escape the pocket and just outrun defenders with relative ease. And then he was just zipping the ball all over the field. Like you said, I think he's going to be. I think he should be the favorite for rookie of the year, and his first performance did nothing to sway me. So you wrote about, and it's pinned in your profiles, a great piece uh, back in May about Cliff Kingsbury. And uh, to me, Arizona is one of the most fascinating teams in the entire NFL because of Kingsbury and Kyler Murray. You have two uh, people who could be you know, at the top of the league and just change the way we look at offense and the, the change the way we look at quarterbacks, or it could entirely go up in flames, right? I mean, uh, I, th- there's a f- sort of a fascinating potential versus what could really happen here. How do you think this is going to play out? Because it seems like when you have as much hype as Kyler Murray, or as, um, yeah, Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury, and Kingsbury didn't really win in college that much, uh, yeah, it's, it's like instant pressure, but also has the potential to be something that is, um, takes that franchise back to where they were a few years ago. Yeah, I've seen people kind of suggest that Kingsbury is playing for the future of the league almost. Like, if he succeeds and all the teams are going to start trying to design an offense like his, I think we're already headed down that road. I think mm-hmm. it started with the Chiefs and the Eagles these last couple of years. I think that Kingsbury's success is going to dictate how accelerated that process is going to be. I think if you see him have a lot of success this year and then maybe he pushes it further the next year, you're going to see guys start to get plucked from college all over the place. We saw kind of with the Sean McVay clones the last couple of years. I think you're going to start seeing people looking for Kingsbury clones if he does have success. And I think he will because I think his strategies do line up with what the analytics people have found. He's going to be passing the ball more. He's only going to run into good looks in the box. So I think even if they don't have the talent that other teams do, I think those strategies are going to make them better than they they are collectively. So I, I think that Cliff Kingsbury probably is really brilliant with offense and that Murray is super talented. But I'll give you kind of a maybe an old-style or old-timey type of take here that 
What Sean McVay does so brilliantly that puts him ahead, that where Chip Kelly, I think, failed, was in terms of how he handles his players. And he, he seems to have this incredible command of the locker room, and he seems to empower veteran players in, in the right manner and just have a leadership quality to him that is exceptional. And someone like Chip Kelly just didn't really have that. And, and he got rid of a couple of key players, and he kept the racist guy on the team, and it was just like a mess with, with him, right? With him dealing with with players and I think that's what it comes down to because these players are good enough to execute the schemes that'll work um, and I think that the NFL is looking more like college with a lot of the schemes I, so I don't, I don't think it's necessarily that I think it's can you you know make good decisions when it comes to handling players right that's always the case and we never know how a coach that was a coordinator and past spot is going to do in that regard like we, didn't, we didn't know Sean McVay was going to be able to handle a locker room like he did. We right. knew his X's and O's were great in Washington, but we didn't know how he could handle that. I think Cliff is probably going to do a better job than Chip just because of how young he is and he was in his NFL locker rooms. He understands players. He seems more personable, to me at least, from the outside looking in. And then another way that he's kind of different from Chip was I don't think Chip tweaked his offense enough. He wasn't really game planning like an NFL offensive coordinator would mm-hmm. week to week and changing things. But Cliff did that at Texas Tech. If he's doing that at Texas Tech, I think he's going to just push it forward in Arizona. Yeah, I remember by year two or or three, was it three years or two? Uh, by whatever, the last year he was there, that defenses seemed to know every running play that was coming. That at first they were surprised by it, and then they had figured it out, and they were cheating on it, and it just wasn't succeeding as well. So you're probably right um, about that. Now let me ask you about... Um, the Andrew Luck situation here. We have Jim Ursay can't keep his mouth shut, but I- I'm starting to get concerned. I mean, normally you'd be like, ah, eh, who cares if a guy doesn't play through the preseason? But if he's not even really practicing and there's an injury there, I feel like that makes that division so fascinating because I had already written in Colts, potential Super Bowl. Uh, you know, I think they're one of the strongest teams. The way Andrew Luck played last year was superstar level, but now uh, things could be kind of thrown for a loop. Yeah, and I don't really consider Jim Ursay a credible source. On these <laughs> I matters. agree. Totally agree. And this is coming from an idiot that wrote that, don't worry about Andrew Luck, and this was before, I think, the, what's the season he missed? The 2016 season? Yeah, I wrote yeah. that before the 2016 season. I said, don't worry about it. They're just putting him on the PV list just to open up a roster spot. And then he doesn't play the whole season. So I've learned not to trust Jim Ursay on these, on any of these matters. Yeah, that's probably uh, for the best because he is usually a mess. Um, and it's, it's, it would be really unfortunate if he can't start the season because I think that Indianapolis has handled things exceptionally well. I mean, they have, Every time you've got a franchise quarterback, he's going to have a big contract, and usually that puts you in cap jail. But instead, Indianapolis has cap space, and they've got young players, and they've built an awesome offensive line and improving defense. It's like they they would be the team that you would make as your model, but if they don't have Andrew Luck, then they're just going to be in trouble. So that kind of opens the door for you know, anything to happen in the South. I mean, I, I, I've been kind of looking at Houston as a team that has a lot of flaws, but also has Deshaun Watson. And it kind of brings me to Steven, the, the state of quarterback play in the NFL. Is it not the best that it's ever been? I mean, I feel like there are 20 quarterbacks who you could make a really good case for that you would want them as your starting quarterback. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I, I can't remember a time where 
this many teams had a franchise quarterback. We don't know if they are franchise quarterbacks, but they consider them franchise quarterbacks. Like, even a team like the Dolphins has a, at least a good prospect on the roster. Yeah. And if he's not good, then they can take either, they can take one of these guys coming out next year. And then you have Trevor Lawrence coming to the league in two years. And he's the best quarterback prospect I've ever seen. So it's only going to get better in the next few years. Talking with uh, Stephen Ruiz, he is the lead NFL writer at uh, For the Win uh, with USA Today. So uh, I want to ask your thoughts on the NFC North. There have been a lot of times where um, we've tried you know, to talk about it, and it's really hard to predict, and I don't know what Detroit's going to be, and I don't know what Matt LaFleur's going to be, and, and I don't know how far Mitch Trubisky's going to fall back. What is your perspective on how this division is going to play out and kind of What's going to be the determining factor here, Stephen? I could see the the winner of the division being ten and six, and the loser being eight and eight. Yeah, I don't think that's far off. I I think the Vikings are the favorite. I I'm listening to the nerds on the Bears stuff. I think they're going to regress. <laughs> and I think the one thing that they're like crazy about is the, the kicker situation, and that's the thing most likely to regress in their favor. Like kicking year to year isn't. There's no correlation there. So. They were so bad last year, I think they're going to be better this year just by default. Mm-hmm. And they're just way too hung up on that. I think their defense is obviously going to take a step back. They lost Vic Fangio. They're not going to get all those takeaways this year. They're not going to score all those defensive touchdowns. The hope for Bears fans is that Nagy's scheme pushes Trubisky forward in year two. I'm not so sure it's going to happen. He's just not an accurate quarterback. Never has been. And accuracy doesn't tend to improve dramatically over the course of someone's career. I don't think it's going to happen. I do like the Lions, though. I really like the Lions. I don't like them, like, playoff like them, but I think they are going to be competitive and be a factor in that division. That goes under the category of does the head coach handle the players again and and criticize uh, reporters for slouching. Like, if we get to that point, then it's 6-10 and ten again, right? Right. Yeah, I'm slouching right now. So oh, man. Uh, well, this interview's over then. Um, uh, Steven, let, let me ask you before I let you go, though. This has been awesome. Um, just what, what are we going to be talking about in terms of the trend? Like last year going into the season, we were all saying, oh, everybody's going to be using RPOs because the Philadelphia Eagles used them. And I'm sure there was a slight uptick, but there wasn't that many RPOs. What ended up being the storyline was how every time you breathed on a quarterback, it was a penalty. And then midway through the season, they seemed to change that to be not a penalty. And that was kind of a mess. Uh, I, I hope it's not the pass interference thing. Um, is there another trend that you think will kind of take over the NFL that we'll all be talking about early in the NFL season? I don't know if it's something we'll be talking about early in the, the season, but I think it will be something we talk about a lot next offseason. I think defenses are going to look a lot different this year, and maybe that's just wishful thinking on my part hmm. because I do think the, the league does need an evolution on defense. We've kind of seen it on offense the last couple of years as teams have gone through more gone to more of these spread concepts. I think you're going to see defenses react, and they're going to start looking more like college defenses. We're going to see a lot more two high shells instead of single high stations, which everyone was playing after the Seahawks dominated in the early part of the decade. Everyone wanted to be the Seahawks. I think you're going to see teams start to back off a little bit, play more towards coverage, not really load the box. And I think you're going to see more like three down fronts, three-man lines, so I think it's going to look a little older. That's how football was back in the 90s. It was more three, four defenses and two safeties deep. I think you're going to see defenses go back to that in yeah. 2019. Yeah. No, I agree. Even uh, last year, Mike Zimmer here on, on third downs switched to a lot of 
three-man fronts and then would run fire zone blitzes off of that and, and things of that nature. So we might see even more of it. And if there's less running on second down, that would make a lot more sense for teams to play two deep safeties. Uh, we also saw it against the Vikings offense when you have Thielen and Diggs uh, teams were double teaming both of them using the two deep safeties and not allowing the big plays. So um, now that that is sort of a more nuanced thing to look for, but I think um, fans in general, at least from from my feel, Stephen, I don't know how you uh, feel about this with with the feedback. What I love about just where the NFL is gone is the more information people have, the more they seem to want to know, and so we can talk about two high safeties and things like that, and, and people are interested. Right? Yeah, I've definitely seen an uptick in that, especially. Ever- over the last couple of years. I think it's just been the game pass era has kind of dictated this. Now that we have access to film and there's just more people writing about X's and O's, I think fans are getting smarter and they want to get even smarter than they are already. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, um, do you have a helmet that uh, Antonio Brown can use, like on you, in the house, in the garage? I have one of those plastic ones. I, <laughs> it needs to be painted, but I think he has a guy for that, I've heard. <laughs> does, yeah. A Photoshop guy that just plasters on there. Actually, uh, when I was a little kid, we made an Oakland Raiders helmet because that was my brother's favorite team. So I, I think I have one at home that is like self-painted. So maybe uh, he's Antonio willing to trade. Yeah, that's right. I, I will take ten thousand dollars for it, Antonio Brown. Um, <laughs> uh, great stuff. You could follow Stephen on Twitter at the Stephen Ruiz USA Today's for the win. Awesome stuff, Stephen. Let's uh, let's do it again soon, man. Yeah, anytime. All right, we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. You are listening to Purple Daily here on Score North. All right, back here on Purple Daily. Matthew Collar with you as always. If you missed any of the show, the first hour with ESPN's Courtney Cronin, then feel free to download it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Purple Daily and two hours of football every single day and also see our camp coverage at scorenorth.com. Now, joining me on the show He does the film room, also writes for the Almanac at uh, Football Outsiders, one of my favorite follows on Twitter, Derek Klassen. What's going on, Derek? Um, I'm doing great, man. How are you? Uh, I am doing awesome. We have some real football to talk about. We are getting ready for the season here. Just got to work our way, wind our way through a couple more weeks of preseason, and and then we're good to go. So um, I want to start with you, Derek, on preseason and how you, as a guy who looks at a lot of quarterbacks and studies them and you do film breakdowns that are awesome for football outsiders – how do we deal with the preseason? Because we've got a little bit of a situation here. It's called the Kyle Sloter situation, where in practice, he's not good. And then when he plays in preseason, he's really good. And nobody knows what to do about this. Uh, I mean, the preseason is a funny time, right? Because, I mean, like you said, you get some guys who really have no actual profile of being very good, and they go and, and show out uh, during the preseason. I think a good example of this, for at least for week one, we'll see how he does the rest of the preseason, but uh, Jarrett Stidham in New England, I didn't like him at all in college. I, <laughs> he just didn't show me a whole lot. Um, but week one, he showed out in the preseason. He played uh, very well. Granted, the Lions' uh, backup defense is pretty bad, and they were playing a lot of man-to-man, which is pretty easy for um, you know, wide receivers to expose when you're, you're playing against backup defensive backs. But I mean, he played pretty well. And they, it, you know, like you said, sometimes you don't know how to process that. I kind of just take it with, um, you know, if it's just one week, it's, it's not that impressive, but if he can keep doing it, then well, I guess, 
I guess you got some reason to believe a little bit. Well, and that's the thing with Kyle Sloter, Derek, that makes it so interesting. And I don't expect you to have studied Kyle Sloter, but uh, he was really good in preseason for Denver, and that's why the Vikings wanted to get him. He was a wide receiver mostly in college and then played quarterback at the end of his college career. And then he comes to Minnesota last year, and uh, he plays really, really well in the preseason. And then his first preseason is good. So it's almost like he's building up this body of work that has to say, something about him as a quarterback that maybe he just knows how to turn it up a level or maybe it is just the fact that he's playing against third teamers and they're just not giving the same type of level but um, I think it's hard to process and then when I look at Nathan Peterman has a great game Alex Tanny has a great game like okay so this kind of happens all the time around the league so off of that, Derek, when you watch Josh Rosen, for example, and you're trying to figure out, okay, is he going to be able to take a, another step? And you watch Kyler Murray, and you watch Daniel Jones for the first time. Um, is it easier or harder to take things away from those guys when when you have somewhat of a sample on them of playing like high level college, or in Josh Rosen's case, uh, last year? Um, you know, I, I think it especially depends um, by quarterback and and by what they were at in a specific game so like um it, just for this week one you look at kyler murray and daniel jones they played very well in their you know one or two drives or whatever but they weren't really asked to do a whole lot like murray was really only throwing like short sideline routes um which is fine he threw them all very accurately and he'll but he only really had like one concept that even gave him an option that was you know further than five yards down the middle of the field mm-hmm. um and he didn't he didn't take it because it was single high coverage so that's fine but they just weren't really asking him to do a whole lot. And the same was kind of true of Daniel Jones. He was throwing just a lot of super quick gamer RPOs, which is what we knew he could do well in college. So it's not like we really learned anything. But then you watch a guy like um, Dwayne Haskins, who played for most of that game, um, and they asked him to do a whole slew of different things. He probably had the most concepts, uh, different concepts that I saw of any of these quarterbacks. Um, you know, he was throwing swings, he was throwing mesh, he was throwing deep, he was throwing off play action. I mean, he was doing it all. And you got a mixed bag. And I think that's to be expected when you're getting a guy who has a lot more volume and um, who is asked to do a bunch of different things. But I think with with Haskins specifically, what you saw is, you know, whether he, he made the right play or not, he was extremely confident in what he was doing and there was no hesitation. And so I think with preseason, you kind of have to look past results a little bit and look for stuff like that. Like, does this guy, you know, trust what he's doing, whether he's, you know, fully understood it or not? And I think with Haskins, that was something encouraging that I saw is that, you know, whether he fully understands these things yet or not, he, he's playing as if he does. And I think when he, he does get that mentally, it's going to really click for him and it's going to look great. Derek, do you think that we're going to see Dwayne Haskins when the Vikings play the Washington football squad here midway through the season? I think we're going to have to. I, I mean, just in this day and age, like rookie quarterbacks just, don't sit. I mean, you get Patrick Mahomes, but Alex Smith was a very established veteran. He's, he's very good. Um, so that was kind of a different situation. And it seemed like the plan all along when they drafted Patrick Mahomes was to sit in. It wasn't like a, you know, we'll see how he does in camp. It seems like no ifs, ands, or buts. He was going to sit no matter what. But with most of these other guys, that just doesn't happen. Maybe it'll happen with Daniel Jones, but I think with Haskins specifically, the competition is just not up to snuff of a guy like, you know, a healthy Alex Smith. Um, and I think with Jay Gruden's job kind of being on the line, I don't think he can really afford himself more than a couple of games of not playing Dwayne Haskins. 
talking with Derek Klassen, does the film room and uh, writes uh, in the Almanac, Football Outsiders Almanac, which comes out each year and is out now. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at QB Class, K-L-A-S-S. Um, an impressive pun game that fits right in with the show, Derek. Um, I, I <laughs> I, I want to ask you about Dak Prescott uh, because the situation is becoming kind of interesting. There's a leak that he turned down a certain amount of dollars, $30 million a year, that he wants $40 million a year, which last time I checked is how negotiating works. Like, yeah, I uh, would like uh, double what I make, um, company, so give me more, right? Um, and they come back with a number, and that's how, how it goes. But in the NFL, everything is leaked all the time. Uh, aside from that, you know, I think it gets into a little bit of a QB wins thing, Derek. And, and I'll tell you, I've, I've always felt that, um, the people who completely throw QB wins in the garbage, um, I, I don't necessarily agree with that because I like when I watch Dak Prescott, I see things that he does that could lead to winning, right? Like when he's had the better wide receivers, he's performed better, the running in big situations, the goal line stuff, his ability um, to take off and, and find a way to win. I think that there's something to that when we analyze Dak Prescott, and I've always liked him for that reason. You think I'm, I'm maybe over, I overrate him because he's done a lot of winning, or uh, is he a guy that you would want to be a franchise quarterback? No, I'm a pretty big fan of Dak Prescott, too, and I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there with him just doing a lot of things that kind of lend to winning. I think the best way to describe Dak Prescott he, is he has a very high floor for what he's going to give you. Um, he has great value as a runner. Um, I think the way that he handles the quick game is fantastic. You know, he doesn't make a lot of mistakes. He protects the ball fairly well. And like you mentioned, once you get into the red zone, he's he's really a problem for defenses, and so I think that goes a long way. Um, and he's very quietly good late in games when he absolutely needs to turn it on. And whether or not you believe the clutch factor is legit, um, he's shown that he has it to this point. And I think, um, you know, kind of like you mentioned, that's something that matters. Um, so I think Dak Prescott is a pretty good quarterback. I think the $40 million that he reportedly is asking for is not actually what he expects. I expect that it's going to be somewhere around $32, $33 million like Carson Wentz, mm-hmm. um, which for a quarterback of his caliber, I think is, is totally fine. Yeah, you know, I think that um, some people uh, get the wrong impression from things that are true in baseball that aren't necessarily true in football. Like, um, so a win-loss record in baseball tells you absolutely nothing. But I like to use it in football of let's let's start there with whether this quarterback has won or not, and then trace it and, tr- and try to find the reasons for it. So if Tom Brady doesn't have the best statistics ever, but he's constantly going 12 and four, like, okay, let's figure out why. Oh, it's because every third and 10, he's converting because he's unbelievable in terms of his accuracy, right? And they're winning a lot. So he's not throwing from behind to put up these big numbers, situational stuff. It does matter. Like, I don't know if it's a clutch factor, Derek, or just how defenses play. If you are the guy who is down one score late in the game and defenses are playing a certain way that you can pick apart because you can run against the man coverage or you can, you know, execute throws down the field into tighter windows. I think all that kind of works back to the main reason that you pay quarterbacks so much because they determine a lot of whether you win or lose. Absolutely. And, and, you know, honestly, I'm not exactly sure where I sit on the whole uh, QB wins thing, but I I think there is something to be said that, you know, if if a quarterback is believed to be good, but he's a perennial loser, then there's probably something that we're missing. And I think the opposite can be true where if we think a quarterback is not so great, but he's, perennially a winner there's probably something we're missing you know I think Alex Alex Smith is probably a pretty good example of that of a guy who 
a lot of people didn't think was fantastic, but always turned out a good number of wins um, for those Chiefs teams. So I think Dak Prescott is kind of along that tier where, um, you know, I think a lot of people are probably lower on him than they should be, but he's a guy who consistently puts the team in positions to win um, and execute when he needs to. So, um, you know, I, I hadn't really thought about QB wins all that much. I've, I've kind of always disregarded it, but I, I do think it's like, it, it it does. I think it's you know like what you mentioned. It's kind of a good starting point, and then you trace back. Okay, are are they the reason that this is happening, or is it happening in spite of them, or or what is it? So, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, the quarterback situations here in Minnesota have just made me think a lot more about it because I think five years ago I probably would have said the same thing. Is I don't I don't even need to know his record. Give me the PFF stats. Give me the film room analysis from Derek Klassen. Give me a couple other things. Um, but uh, now it's like, well, let me let me begin there because I've seen Teddy Bridgewater not put up stats but win a lot of games. And the more that I wrote about it and the more that I asked players about it and coaches about it and everything else, they pointed to, well, situational stuff is so huge for him, his accuracy in big situations when there's you know zone coverages, he can fit balls in tight windows, and that matters when you're down by a score. And um, you know the other part, too, is the leadership element, which I think uh, Dak Prescott has it just in spades. I mean, I think that everybody believes in him, and that really matters. When you're trying to get 10 other people, or in a lot of cases it's like 15 other people, to all be on the same page at the same time, it becomes cliche to talk about leadership, but I think it's a big deal. Anyway, so I, I love the discussion, though, Derek. I mean, um, because I think a lot of times when anyone says X doesn't matter, I want to say, okay, well, wait a minute. I mean, all the football people think it does, so let's talk about it. Anyhow, um, the NFC North, you wrote about it for Football Outsiders Almanac, which I suggest people go get, footballoutsiders.com. Uh, I can't, I just keep going back and forth. Somebody asked me the other day, Derek. Well, okay, how's predict how this is going to play out one through four? Like I have no idea. I mean, this is this is about as hard of a division as I've ever remembered for predicting who is going to just be where um, in the NFC North. Or did you have the same trouble when you were writing the preview? Yeah, not only did I have the same trouble when I was just writing it, but our projections have the same thing. Like it's the tightest division by far. I want to say it's within like our lowest projection is like 7.4 wins and our highest is only like 8.1 maybe. Like it's incredibly tight. And if I remember correctly, Aaron, um, our, our head editor, um, he actually tweeted something that was, I think in our projections, like when you run the models, 22% of the time or every team in the division had won the division at least 22% of the time. I mean, that's a lot. That's basically like, I mean, you're just kind of rolling a four-sided die or something like that. Right. Um, but I believe we have Green Bay actually winning the division. Um, and just when I wrote about them, I kind of felt the same way. Um, I think the offense is going to be really good. It was quietly good last year, actually, um, despite McCarthy getting fired. Um, and I think they're going to be able to put up another good offense this year. And I think the defense should be uh, even though it'll be significantly better, it won't be fantastic, but it, it'll you know go a long way for really uh, gluing this team back together. So, what, are you um, buying or selling the Trubisky uh, analysis? I mean, because it's just 
doesn't look good for him, but he beat the Vikings twice. So every time I've talked about Mitch Trubisky, I think there's a lot of Vikings fans who are like, yeah, okay, sure, you don't like him, but he's going to go 2-0 against the Vikings again. His Week 17 performance was maybe the best of his entire uh, career in terms of a, a late game, making throws, keeping his team ahead. And so it's a, it's a little bit of a hard sell here, Derek, to say, yeah, the whole outside world thinks this guy stinks. Yeah, well, after last year, Vikings fans are probably scarred, uh, especially after that Week 17. Um, but, I, I mean, I'm not really big on Mitchell Trubisky, to be honest. I think a lot of what he did last year is not particularly sustainable in terms of him being a fantastic quarterback. Um, in our uh, in Per DVOA, he actually had the smallest gap between how he played under pressure and how he played without pressure. Um, and the reason for that is he played fantastic under pressure, which is all fine and well within the context of that season. But play under pressure, pressure is extremely volatile. So you can't really expect him to do that again next year. Yeah. And his play without pressure was actually a little bit below average. So if you expect his play under pressure to even come back to average, that really only makes him an average to below average quarterback. Um, and that's really putting a huge burden on Matt Nagy to – cook up a fantastic offense, which he just might do, but I think Nagy's just going to have to fill so many holes for this quarterback who just has an incomplete game, um, especially in terms of like throwing play action and throwing over the middle of the field, which I think are huge for quarterbacks nowadays. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think he just doesn't have a complete enough skill set right now. And I didn't love him in college, and I haven't loved what I've seen so far, so I don't really have a ton of reason to believe he's going to develop that anytime soon. Well, I've only given my Deshaun Watson rant about that draft about 16 times, but I'll just, again, he won the national championship and beat Alabama, and, like, I'm drafting that guy. (laughs) uh, And he was the Heisman runner-up twice. Yeah, right. I'm going to pick that guy over the one-year starter from North Carolina who wasn't even that great in his bowl game, just... I'm just going to play my odds there. Anyway, uh, at QBKLASS, Derek Klassen. Make sure you get the Football Outsiders Almanac to get ready for the season. You won't do better than that. Also, he does film room articles as well that are outstanding. Derek, we will uh, catch up with you again soon. Thanks, man. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. All right, we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. We'll wrap the show with Sam Ekstrom from Zone Coverage when we return. Here, you are listening to Purple Daily. 342 here at Score North. Time for Score North. Download this download brought to you by MyPillow. The team currently sits third in the Western Conference in Major League Soccer, Minnesota United. They'll be hosting the Colorado Rapids tomorrow night. It'll be they'll be looking to exact some revenge. It's the team that before Saturday was the last team they lost to, and that was two months ago, June 8th, out in Colorado. So Minnesota hosting Colorado tomorrow, looking to exact some revenge there. And you can join Dan Terhar and myself. Tomorrow night here on Score North for our coverage of Minnesota United and the Colorado Rapids. Pre-game at 6.30 p.m. with the kickoff at 7 right here on Score North on AM 1500. ScoreNorth.com into the free Score North mobile app. That's been your Score North download. Now back to the final segment today of Purple Daily. Welcome back here to Purple Daily. If you missed any of the show, make sure you go to iTunes, type in Purple Daily, and uh, you can download it every single day, two hours of Vikings and football talk. And now we welcome in to the studio from Zone Coverage. He's out at TCO Performance Center every day covering uh, training camp, preseason, and so forth. Uh, Sam Ekstrom, what is up, Sam? 
Happy to be the anchor leg of the program today, and uh, Corey Vedvik watch yesterday was captivating. Yeah, I got to say, I don't know anything else that happened in practice yesterday because my eyes were locked on Corey Vedvik punting and kicking and nailing one from 60 yards and getting cheers from the crowd. It was the most exciting day of camp so far. Mike Zimmer could have come out in an eye patch and a tutu, and we would not have noticed Corey Vedvik was punting on the opposite field. And Mike Zimmer wasn't watching him, but we we were uh, yes we were watching the interns trying to catch his punts oh. fun stuff okay so this is a great debate uh, about whether we could catch punts and there was an intern out there who nabbed a couple of them but then it seemed like Corey Vedvik turned on the jets and started kicking <laughs> it really high and, and after that the guy had no chance I mean they were flying over his head there was one time where one of the interns reached his hand out and the ball came in hot and just smacked it so hard you heard it like yeah and he was trying not to shake it but I'm just like don't don't try to play this off man that hurt like crazy I don't I don't know we debated all the time I think I could catch like one out of five punts but especially uh, not if the guy is really trying to get it up in the swirling wind or something, then it would be extremely hard. Yeah, I'm just thinking back to my baseball background as an infielder. On those pop-ups where you had to backpedal and kind of turn your head, I would always end up on my face. Now, if I'm going <laughs> in to try to, to catch the ball, I think I could manage it. So if, if he gives me a couple where I have to go forward, a couple back, maybe I can haul in the forward ones. Definitely am not backpedaling to get anything. That's exactly what I was thinking is if you go back on it first – and then you like try to receive it softly. You bend the knees a little bit and try to bring it in like that. But it's coming in from very high up. Like you do not want to get hit in the face with a football that's coming from a hundred feet in the air. So I, it it would be tough. But especially if it's swirling, a kickoff is easy because it's just end over end. So you know exactly what it's going to do. A punt is up there spinning like crazy. I mean, there's a reason why a lot of NFL players cannot I, catch these. I will never forget. This was. 2016, I believe. I think your first year on the beat. Rodney Adams came in. And 2017, he, yes. 2017. Yes. He had punt return experience in college, and people thought maybe he's the one to usurp Marcus Sherrills. This is a professional athlete who got drafted, comes in, and embarrasses himself trying to catch punts. They were hitting him in the face. <laughs> like in the face, in the pads. <laughs> so it, was like, it wasn't just like bouncing off his hands. They were hitting his equipment. It was <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah. Marcus Sherrill's still underrated to this yeah, day. Absolutely. Um, and I remember doing a piece on Sherrill's when he left of just like a Marcus Sherrill's appreciation. And I discovered that he had a better return average than Deion Sanders, which is just awesome. I'm sure Deion, wow. in part, ran backwards on a bunch of them where he was trying to take it for a touchdown and it ended up like a 10 yard loss, which Marcus Sherrill's never would have done. But still, to have a better return average than Deion Sanders, to never fumble. I think he fumbled twice as a Minnesota Viking and then returned him for a touchdown now and then. It's one of those positions that if you don't have a Marcus Sherrill's, you should just send somebody back there to fair catch it every time. Because you're going you're gonna to mess it up. Yeah, we might be entering the first era of like an, a very non-legendary kick or punt returner for the first time since Percy Harvin in Minnesota. Because yeah, it was, right it was about Percy that. into Cordero, and Marcus was there pretty much the whole time. Now, what, Amir Abdullah and Chad Beebe? Not, uh, not legendary. No. No, not legendary. Um, so let me ask you, I, I wanted to run through um, some positions slash players that need to be better um, coming up for this next preseason game, but... What do you think Corey Vedvik is going to do here? I think he's going to be the punter. I don't think he's going to do both. I thought about this, and I thought, man, that would be awesome. 
if, if he could come legendary, in here some might say. and be the dual threat, legendary. I just think that's it's a big workload. You're constantly having to change your mindset. It's a lot of uh, changing your leg swing kind of mid-game. And how would you, if you had a bad punt, would that mess you up mentally for your field goal kick? And I think they're going to have him do one thing, and I think it's going to be punter because the common thread has been the holding has been a, a problem. Like Mike Prefer said it last December. Mike Zimmer alluded to it this training camp. And if he's the place kicker, you still have a holding problem. Right. Uh, Dan Bailey has not been better with Chad Beebe holding. He's not been better with Adam Thielen holding. Uh, the holding has been an issue. So I think they're going to try this Corey Vedvik guy out as a holder and a punter and, I think, a fair catch kick specialist. Oh, come on. A pull from, from way back. Do, do people know about this rule? I don't think they do. If you fair catch a punt, um, you have the option on the very next play to basically do a kickoff and try to make it through the goalpost for three points. It's been tried half a dozen times over the past 20, 30 years. I don't know if anyone's actually made it. Um, Mason Crosby tried it about 10 years ago, and I think he came a couple yards shy on like a 68-yard attempt. But we saw this guy kicking 62-yarders at practice. He was banging in, in that situation yesterday, running up to it on a tee. He said he's kicked from 70 before. So I think you hang on to him as a punter holder this year. Bailey's on a one-year deal. You have Vedvik under team control, not only in 2020, but he's an Urfa in 2021, which is like a free pass. So two more years, you can have him as your place kicker if you want. That is unrestricted free agent, Urfa? Exclusive rights Exclusive free agent. Exclusive right. Oh, okay. I was like, what? You, what? What is that? Do, you, they, do people call it that? You have the option to sign them to a one-year deal. That's right. No other team has their rights. Right. Right. Um. So I think that he will also be sort of in the same vein, the long bomb kicker. So it's at the end of the half, and you're at midfield. And you're like, okay, Dan Bailey might hurt everything in his body if we send him out there to shoot it from a uh, sixty-five, but. This guy, like he's young, he's six four. Give it a shot. Why not? Uh, yeah, why not? See if he can see if he can bang one from sixty five in uh, U.S. Bank Stadium. So, it, all I know is that there's something that's going to happen with Corey Vedvik that is going to be memorable. Like there's no there's no question. Like e- even if he gets cut, if in preseason they send him out there for field goals and he all of a sudden just melts down and they have to cut him and they keep Weil and Bailey, we will always remember the time they traded for. Corey Vedvik, or at some point he's going to miss a snap when he's trying to hold, or he's going to punt it out of bounds or backwards or something, or like something will happen because you traded a fifth round pick for a punter slash kicker that we will remember Corey Vedvik forever. Or he becomes the epic fake punt guy like Johnny Hecker, and he <laughs> is able to execute all these, yes. these fakes because he is an athlete and he's played hockey, he's played soccer, he's run track before. Um, but what if he was the kicker and what if he had a Daniel Carlson like collapse oh, would yeah. would they just mail in another fifth round pick and cut ties this is this is exactly and bring in Blair Walsh. this is exactly why he'll be the punter because there's no way that Mike Zimmer is going to be like oh yeah sure bring me this guy who's never done this before in a regular season game over Dan Bailey who's one of the most accurate kickers of all time even if Bailey might not have uh, his full fastball anymore you know that the the, the floor for him is 75% Three out of every four field goals. I mean, a rookie going out there, you have no clue. 
Like this could be the complete disaster. And what we found is watching the field goals out in practice has no correlation to what happens in those actual games. There's just no way to simulate it. And Daniel Carlson on that note was far better than Kai Forbath last year in yeah. training camp. We all saw it. I think people agreed with the move at the time. And then to say that, well, they trusted a rookie too much was a little bit of, of hindsight is twenty twenty because I think a lot of people thought this guy's a better kicker than Forbath. The question always was, how will he handle the pressure? And the answer was, not well. No, not well at all. No. Except for in week three, where he will undoubtedly hit a 56-yarder to win the game. Um, so tell me who you're looking for to be better in the next preseason game. They couldn't have asked for much more on the offensive side, but... Clearly, Mike Zimmer was not happy with his secondary. When I asked him how he felt about the secondary, his, he almost vomited at the uh, podium. He just seemed really upset. Like, sorry, Mike, too early in the morning to ask you this question. Um, but w- what are you focusing on here in the next preseason game? Yeah, I'm thinking of a lot of second team guys, and I think a number of these are are probably on the team anyway. You know, Stephen Weatherly, I thought had a pretty bad game. That's a that's a key piece of your rotation. You want to see him get better. Mike Zimmer also called out Jaleel John. Johnson and Jalen Holmes, which has, in essence, been the first team to set of defensive tackles, but they'll probably be twos when the season comes around. He didn't love how they started that game. They threw Duke Thomas in as a second-team corner. He struggled, and if he wants to make this team, he's going to have to be better. But you know, the one guy that we've talked about a lot, and I think a lot of Vikings fans are waiting to hear more from, is Drew Samia. Is, yeah. He's been with the threes all of camp. He's a fourth-round offensive tackle, and in this league, you maybe see a fourth-round pick get cut like every other year. doesn't happen very much. did happen with the Vikings recently with Willie Beavers, another offensive lineman. But this is a different story. You know, This is a, a, a Big 12 product, Oklahoma, the best offensive line in the country, who a lot of people thought was sort of undervalued in the draft when he fell to, to day three and the Vikings nabbed him. So for him to not be with the twos until really this week when he's gotten a little bit of run has been disappointing. And and that's probably just because Dakota Dozier had to move to left tackle. So I think he still makes the team because it's just a huge investment to give up on with a four-year rookie contract ahead of him. But that being said, Matthew, I'm not sure who he takes over for because, to be honest, I have been pretty impressed with a lot of that second-team group. Uh, Brett Jones has been really good in one-on-ones. Danny Sedora, I think, has been all right in his third year. And, and Dakota Dozier has the Rick Dennison tie. So I'm not sure who he replaces. Yeah, that's the tough thing to figure out is if unless he really stands out in these next preseason games, how are you making a case for him to stay? Because if he wasn't a fourth-round pick, he hasn't done enough to look like he should stay. I mean, he performed pretty well against third-teamers the other night, but that's really hard to figure out. The Kyle Sloter conundrum is what we could call it. It's just guys who perform really well against third-teams but don't do it every day in practice. What can you really make of it? And in practice, it just seems like when he's done the one-on-ones, he's getting driven back. We also don't know how he's handling the playbook and what he's supposed to do with his assignments and everything else like that. So it seems to me the best way to grade somebody for us on the sideline is not necessarily trying to study, oh, did it look like he got beat there or not? It's more of how they play him in the preseason games and and how they play him in practice and what kind of reps. And when it's a fourth-round pick, normally you would expect the guy to get second-team reps on almost any team around the league. When it's third team, that means you are absolutely on the bubble. And it seems like it'd be irresponsible if they didn't at least try him with the twos to see what he can do. I think just to to test the waters with a fourth-round pick who – 
in two of his four college seasons, didn't give up a sack. You know, he was top quarter out of draft eligible guards in, in uh, run blocking and pass blocking. So he had good analytics at Oklahoma for the most part. I think, though, the Vikings, you know this, Matthew, they value intelligent football players, yep. right? And, and Drew Samia comes across as a very well spoken, mature individual. Yeah, and, for sure. And he, he brings an aggressiveness and a tenacity and sort of a bulldog mentality that I'm sure the Vikings and probably some other teams, too, fell in love with a little bit, maybe overlooking some technical flaws. So they're trying to harness that mentality, which I think is coming out in the run game and not in pass protection, at least at first. And that's what they need to see get better. I think you can also wonder if Oklahoma's offensive line was so good that everyone looked good. That Mm -hmm. like They had four guys drafted. And when that happens, you know, Cody Ford was what, a second round pick? And then, you know, the, the, ben Powers. the, the Powers guy has done pretty good in what, Baltimore? Yes. So, I mean, you're, you're talking about this offensive line that was just fantastic. So if there was a guy who had some weaknesses in his game, it might not stand out a ton because they would be asking these better players who were good draft picks and everything else to handle a lot. You know, so I, I don't know if uh, he's going to be able to develop, but like what you're talking about is if you punt on this fourth round pick now, not only does it look bad, but also you're saying he can't develop either. Because mm-hmm. is it really super important to you to make sure you keep Danny Isadora on a third season as a backup guard as opposed to someone who might develop? I mean, maybe you're risking a little bit, but. Isidora hasn't been good when he's been in. So, I mean, how much worse could it be? Usually, I, I would prefer the guy that might have a better chance to get better than somebody who is just basically a backup body. Yeah, Isidora might be the guy that he would take over for because I think the Vikings know how often they've had to dip into the reserve ranks on the offensive line. So at least they have a couple veterans this year with Brett Jones, who has one year in the system, uh, and then Dakota Dozier, who has a year in Denison's system. So they both have a level of familiarity with their surroundings. Uh, and I think you can trust them probably more than uh, a rookie or a second-year player who they've often had to go to, you know, a Jeremiah Searles in the past who's had sure, to play, yeah. play major reps. So even if they have to redshirt Samia as the ninth offensive lineman, maybe he's inactive on game days a lot of the time, they only dress eight. Um, I think you want to keep him around just for the potential and just so you don't have egg on your face again. Right. The Vikings have a long history of failing on these day three offensive line picks. And as yep. Rick Spielman has so obviously pointed out, when you draft them higher, it usually <laughs> turns out better. And, Did a study on that. Uh, Beavers, Tyrus Thompson, Travis Bond, Colby Gossett. None of them have worked. They've barely found any of these diamonds in the rough. So this is a big couple weeks for Samia. I really would like to see him play with the twos uh, against Seattle. And every time it's, well, you know, the guy has good PFF numbers or something. Like, look, they drafted him the sixth round for a reason, okay? I mean, Mm -hmm. I believe in those numbers as much as anybody, but that doesn't mean they're going to be a great NFL player. Um, Sam, awesome stuff. Where can people read more of your work? On Twitter, at Sam Ekstrom, that's a great place to follow, or at Zone Coverage MN, where you can get all of my work and also all of the Twins' work we're doing. Timberwolves are going to be heating up here soon. Same with the Wild. So it's all there, at Zone Coverage MN, ZoneCoverage.com. It's a second place Twins, by the way. Second place. Second Carlos place Santana twins. is breaking hearts. Amazing. Uh, all right. Thanks, Sam. And thank you all for listening today. Um, we'll be back, of course, uh, tomorrow. Courtney Cronin will be doing the whole show. We'll have Mike Renner tomorrow. And if you missed any of the show, download it on iTunes or uh, download the free app. Uh, just go to your uh, app store, type in Score North. Okay, we'll be back. Um, Mackie and Judd with Rami coming up next here on Score North. 
This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup, so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. The Venture X Card from Capital One gives you more of what you love, like premium travel benefits and access to Taylor Swift tickets. Oh, I do love her. Earn five times miles on flights and ten times miles on hotels through Capital One Travel. Enjoy your stay in Suite 13. Whoa, 13? That's Taylor's lucky number. Plus, get access to Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, presented by Capital One. Maybe I'll see you there. The Venture X Card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details.